All right, so we're in First Peter tonight. We're going to be in chapter 2. We're going to finish chapter 2 tonight, a milestone in our verse-by-verse study through the book of First Peter. God's Word is just so awesome. You know, the Lord has given us His, you know, we are so blessed. We have the entire Word of God, and we can study it chapter by chapter and verse by verse to see what the Lord has. The book of Proverbs is all about wisdom, and the Lord cries to us from His Word to seek wisdom. And tonight, that's what we're going to do. So let's pray. Let's begin the word. So, Lord, we ask for your wisdom, Lord. Lord, we know that you commended Solomon for seeking after wisdom, Lord. And that's what we desire as we walk through this world. Lord, we admit, Lord, that this world is not our home. It's, we don't want it to be our home, Lord. This world is fallen. It's decaying. It's evil. It's corrupt. Lord, we long for that city, Lord, whose maker and builder is God. And Lord, we long for that day when we'll see you face to face. Or where we'll have no more sin, no more suffering, no more pain, no more tears. Lord, but we'll be with you forever. Lord, but our heart also longs for those, Lord, that we know our family members, Lord, our friends that don't know you. And Lord, we know that they're going to go to a Christless eternity in hell. And Lord, we want to be witnesses for you, Lord. And so teach us how to walk wisely in front of them, Lord, how to live the Christian life. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm calling the study, are you ready for your employee eval? Because that's what Peter's going to talk to. He's going to talk to servants, and we're going to apply it to you and I as workers, as employees. Now, some of you might have had an employee evaluation before. I've had a couple of them. I think they went pretty well. (laughs) You know, and these evaluations, usually the supervisor usually has different things that he'll grade you on. And so, like, attendance, right, which is a big thing, right, and you know, performance and things like that. And so in the government, where I work on the Navy base, they rate you one to five kind of thing. And so beforehand, they'll do this. They'll rate you one to five on these different things. And then there's a little block at the bottom where they can either blast you or, or commend you. And then after all that's said and done, then comes that awkward meeting, you know, where you kind of get called in and then kind of give you your evaluation on your performance. Well, tonight in this passage, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Peter, is going to give us some tips for us as Christian employees to be ready for our evaluation because we are going to have an evaluation one day. We don't have to feel scared about it. It comes at what's called the judgment seat of Christ that Paul spoke of in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, that's not to determine whether we're going to go to heaven or hell, but that's to determine what rewards we're going to receive as we enter into the Lord's um, presence. And so there we're going to have our things that weren't done for the Lord burned away. And there we're going to receive rewards for the things that we have done for the Lord and the things that we have glorified Him. And there's a lot of things that we'll, we'll receive rewards for. I think we'll receive rewards for a lot of stuff that we don't know we're doing. You know, like when the Lord commended those people who gave a cup of cold water in His name. And they said, Lord, we didn't even know that we did that. And the Lord says, well, as often as you did it to these my people, you did it to me. So... Um, you know, so there's a lot of things, but specifically, we're going to be rewarded and evaluated upon our performance, our work for the Lord in the sense of our employment, our jobs, because that's an important thing in the scriptures. And so as we talk about these tips, we're going to learn two things as Christian employees. Number one, your work is commendable to God when you walk in his word. And number two, your work is commendable to God when you walk in like Christ. And so first, in verses 18 to 20, we're going to look at your work is commendable when you walk in God's word. We're told servants, 
Be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only the good and gentle, but also the harsh. And so Peter begins this passage by addressing servants. Now, the word servants, I'm told, meant a household or domestic servant or a slave. In the Roman culture, slavery was very common. Now, we need to make sure that we think in the terms of Roman context. Often we think of, you know, in terms of American context and the slavery that, you know, enslaved many African Americans and things like that. But slavery in the Roman culture was, was different. It was still slavery, but it was more of an indentured servant's um, and things like that. They could actually buy themselves out of slavery if, you know, in, you know, if they had enough money. Now, the writers of the New Testament wrote to believers in this context. Peter, Paul, and the other New Testament writers wrote in this cultural context. Now, they didn't condone this practice, but rather they sought to teach these pilgrims how they were to glorify God in this context. And so, you know, so they weren't writing to them and saying, hey, guys, it's time for, an up, you know, time for us to revolt against the government. They says, you know, let's glorify the Lord from where the Lord has you right now, and let's see what God will do in this situation. That's, you know, all, pretty much what, what the scripture shows us. Now, obviously, the context for you and I as Americans is a little different as employees because, you know, we have rights, right? We have labor laws and things like that. We have... Um, you know, different things that are entitled to us that, you know, as an American. But nevertheless, we can still take from these things and apply them to our life as uh, Christian employees. And the specific thing that we can learn from Peter's exhortation here in these verses is that we're to walk in the Word. Now, the first way that we can walk in the Word is we see that we are to walk in work joyfully and with excellence. That's a, you know, that's really a principle that the Scripture brings out to us as employees, Listen to what Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 through 24. Paul says, Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. And so Peter writing to domestic servants, Paul writing to bond servants, says, hey guys, you need to glorify God in your circumstance. You need to glorify God in your job. And whatever you do, you're to do it with excellence as if you're doing it for Jesus himself because you're going to stand in front of Jesus himself and he's going to reward you for your faithfulness in that. The second thing we can talk about in walking in the word and serving commendably is we're to submit to those who are in authority. Now, the word submiss, or submit here, to be submissive, means to rank under and to obey. And so this really deals with the heart and attitude of a believer. We're to submit, but not just submit and obey, but we're to do it with the fear of the Lord. All fear ultimately is pointing to God. You see, since we reverence God, since we honor God, since we love God, and we know that the Lord has established certain authorities, specifically the place where I work, my supervisor, and then I'm going to submit to my boss as if I'm submitting to Jesus. You know, that'll really blow their mind. Tell them, hey, man, I love Jesus, and that's why I'm, I'm working hard, for, you know, for the Lord. It really gives a great witness. Now, in saying all this, because we fear God and his word, we can't obey our supervisors if they would seek to tell us to sin or cause others to sin. And so, you know, so there, there's a place when we say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to lie or cheat or steal, and I'm going to take whatever consequences I might have to take. But nevertheless, if it's not referring to sin or, 
you know, referring to something where I would cause someone else to sin, and then where do you obey those who are, in, who, you know, who are in charge of us? We're not to gossip about our supervisors behind their back. It's easy to, but, you know, but we're not to, you know, but we're to submit to them as if we're submitting to the Lord. Notice, not just the good bosses, the gentle bosses, but we're told here that we're to submit even if that person is evil. Even if that person we know is not a good person, we're to still submit, that's what Peter says here. Not only that, but we're also to submit even if that person is harsh. That person doesn't have a good, you know, bedside manner kind of thing. You know, a, a good, you know, a good personality or, or a way of leading. You know, the character of the person does not determine whether we submit or not. Our submission is based upon our love for God and our obedience to the word. Verse 19, for this is commendable, if because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you're beaten for your faults, you take it patiently, but when you do good and suffer, you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. And so submission to your master or boss in the fear of God simply is commendable. I like that. The word commendable means to be favorable or to be pleasing. And so we think, Lord, man, how can I please you? How can I honor you? And the Lord says, well, here's a very simple way. Be obedient to your supervisors. Do what they tell you to do. Be a good employee. Go to work and work hard and glorify the Lord in your job. Now, a third way that we, you know, that we see we can walk in the word from this passage is just as I just said. We submit to our boss even when they don't deserve it. And Peter gives us a, a good example here of what was going on in the Christian workplace. I don't know if they had different you know, things that, you know, where they can put a, a, a letter in the box or whatever to talk about what's going on. Maybe one of the employees put this in the box to kind of go up the chain here. And he said, hey, man, here's what's going on in our workplace. The Christian servants were being treated harshly by their non-believing masters. They were enduring grief for things that they didn't do. They were suffering wrongfully. They were suffering, and they didn't deserve the punishment. It reminds me a lot of King David. Remember his life? He suffered wrongfully a lot. I mean, there the Lord has, you know, chose him to be the next king, and the Lord placed him in Saul's house there. And there he goes in, and Saul just, he's just a crazy guy. David would be playing his harp, and all of a sudden Saul would, you know, just throw a spear at him or whatever. But yet David continued to submit. He continued to obey the Lord and to, and to recognize the authority of Saul, you know, as the Lord still placing him as king. And that's what was going on here. These believers were being uh, treated unfairly and, um, and unjustly. But yet, Peter was still encouraging them to continue to submit because, as we're going to see, that is the place where the Lord really shines forth from our life. Now, have you ever been persecuted at work or treated differently because you're a Christian? Some of you might have. Or maybe you treated differently because of some other reason, not sinful reason or whatever, but just because the person didn't like you. It's not a, it's not a real good feeling. And even after a good Sunday worship service, it's easy to get fleshly the, you know, the next day. But the good news is, is that the Lord will give us the power to do it. He'll give us the strength to do it. And he gives us a continual reminder that we're to submit for his glory. Peter tells us, man, rather than react in your natural flesh and rebel, we're to honor God for conscience sake, for our knowledge of God, for our love for him, and also for the witness of others around us. So when people see you submit, they're going to see, man, that's not normal. You know, why are they taking that? Well, because they love Jesus. They're one of those Christians, and it really glorifies the Lord. Now, before we look at Christ's example, and um, beginning with um, verse 21, I want to point out a very important reminder for employees here in verse 20. 
Peter reminds you that you don't get kudos for suffering patiently if you do wrong. Plain and simple. Modern day examples would be, we can't rejoice because we suffer at work, you know, for management because we come to work late with a Holy Ghost hangover kind of thing, you know. Oh man, I was just, I was at church too late, you know, worshiping. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm at work late, but hey, oh, I'm being persecuted. Praise God, I'm, I'm late for work. No, no, you're late for work. You should get there on time. You know, also, you know, we can't praise God because we're persecuted by our management because we take an extended lunch break while we're having Bible study. It's good to have Bible study on our lunch break, but, you know, we, we need to make sure that we get there back to work on time. Or because, you know, we're standing around preaching the gospel to people. And it's good to preach the gospel. We should preach the gospel at work, but we need to make sure that we do our job. And sometimes when people start talking, they stop working, you know? And, um, you know, so we want to make sure that we're, you know, preaching the gospel, but also living it out with our actions. We're working hard. We're glorifying the Lord through um, our service. So we see here, if, if we're going to be commendable to the Lord in our service as employees, we need to make sure that we walk in the word and do a job well, well done. Second, in verses 21 through 25, we learn that your work is commendable to God when you walk like Christ. Verse 21, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. And so Peter here is continuing this topic of suffering now. He says, guys, yeah, you're suffering wrongfully, but you need to make sure you endure it joyfully because, notice this, this is to what you were called to do. This is what you were called to do. Wow. This is a good reminder and a real check before we flee our job because of persecution or opposition. Now, I'm not saying that you can't leave your job or get another job if the Lord leads you, but we need to make sure that we're not so quick to leave because of opposition. Because as Peter wrote here, he says, hey guys, you're suffering wrongfully. Praise the Lord. This is what God's called you to do. You're in this horrible circumstance. Hey, this is where the Lord has you right now. And you just need to glorify him in that circumstance. We're called to be salt, but that means that there's going to be decay around us. We're called to be soldiers, and that means that at times there's going to be warfare around us. We're called to be lights, but that means that the world around us is going to be dark. We shouldn't be surprised. As McGee would say, friends, you know, don't be surprised when the world acts like the world's. You know, that's, they're going to act like the world because that's what they are. They're non-believers. And we need to know that God has placed us there to shine forth like light so people would see Jesus in us. Now, because God has called us to this, we can have assurance that God will also empower us to do it. God, if he calls you to do something, he'll also empower you to do it. There, the Lord in the Gospels, remember he met that man with that crippled hand, and the Lord came up to him and said, hey, stretch forth your hand. The man could have said, I can't, I can't do it. He didn't do that, though. He had believed the Lord's word, and he stretched forth his hand. In the same way, the Lord tells you, hey, I'm going to have you do some amazing things. All you got to do is obey me and trust me and, and do what I tell you to do, and the Lord will give us power to do it. Now, not only are we enabled by the Spirit to do these things, we're given an example of how to do these things. We're given the Word, but also we're given the Word made flesh, the God-man, no other than Jesus Christ. He's our example, and Peter tells us that in this verse. He says, we're to follow in his footsteps. Just think about that phrase for a second there in that verse, at the end of verse 21. You should follow in his steps. It's really our mandate for life. You know, if you were to have a life verse, this would be a good one. Hey, man, what's your life verse? I'm following in his steps. Who? Jesus. I want to walk as Jesus walked. I want to talk as Jesus talked. I want to have the motives that Jesus had. I want my life to be filled with the Holy Spirit like Jesus' life was. I want to live my life for others like Jesus' life. 
And Peter says, have you ever prayed to be more like Jesus? Well, yeah. Peter says, well, here, this is how you can be more like Jesus. You can choose to glorify God in your situation, even if it might call suffering wrongfully. That's what we're told here and, um, in these following verses. Now, if we're to walk like Jesus, there's two things really that we need to grab hold of and, and, and meditate and think about. First of all, when you think about Jesus' walk, we know that Jesus walked in the will of God, and we know that Jesus walked um, in, you know, in the steps of God. He, he walked in the will of God, but also he walked to glorify God. That's really what his life was lived for, for the word and God's will and for his glory. Jesus says, hey, it's my food to do the will of God. You know, he chose to put you know, his, his father's will before his own will, his own temporary um, time. And that's what we see here that we're to do in verse 22. It says, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. And so the specific example that we're given of Jesus that we're to follow is the fact that even though Jesus did not commit sin, he was sinless, right? He was God come as man, nor did he ever lie or speak anything false, but yet he was reviled and he suffered. And we see that in the Gospels. You know, we see there that the Lord, the only thing that they can do was lie about him. They took his statements on what he said about the fact that he spoke of his body and how it would be destroyed and, and um, you know, and then he would be resurrected in three days. He says, you destroy his temple in three days, it'll be resurrected. And John says, he's speaking of his body. And the people who heard him knew that, we're told in the Gospels, but yet they chose to lie about him, saying, he said that he's going to destroy the temple. And, you know, and then finally, they couldn't get him for anything, so finally they asked him, are you the Messiah? And he says, well, yes. And they said, that's all we need to know. You're, di- you, you know, you're going to die. And so they couldn't, he, he didn't lie. They couldn't catch him in a, in a lie because you know, he never did. They couldn't commu- you know, accuse him of a sin. All they can do is lie about him, revile and persecute him. And, and, then, and that, you know, that really shows us as believers that we need to make sure that our life is above reproach. Because people are going to look for things to accuse Christians. The biggest excuse that people use for not going to church is Christians are all hypocrites, right? I don't go to church. Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites. Well, you are too, so you should come to church with us, right? I mean, hey, we're all sinners, man. We're saved by Jesus' blood, and we're work in progresses. But on the other hand, man, we need to make sure that our life is living out for the Lord, that our life is glorifying the Lord, because people are watching us, and, and they were watching Jesus very closely, so Jesus chose to walk in God's will, and, and even so, you and I need to walk in God's will. And sometimes God's will might, meet, might mean to submit, even in, in tough times. You know, it, it's to choose heavenly things over temporary blessings in, in our own will and our own desires. Second, we see Christ, you know, walked in, um, in, in God's will to represent him. And that's really what he did. You know, think about it. If Christ would have chose his own will above God's will and, and chose not to go to the cross, and then salvation couldn't have happened for us. And that's what Peter points out here in verse 24. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. And so not only did Christ submit to suffering, because he recognized God's authority and his will, but also he recognized that there was something greater to his suffering than what man can presently see in front of him. 
he realized that there was something greater, and that was the salvation of all mankind. Peter explains this work of salvation in the work of the believer by talking about the cross here. He says, Christ died and bore his, our sins on his own body on the tree. And now, the tree is a way that Peter refers to the cross. Obviously, the cross was made of wood, as a tree is. But there's more to it than that, and we see it in different places that Peter mentions it in the book of Acts. The tree often was a symbol in the Old Testament of someone who was cursed. And so, you know, in the Old Testament, a, a person who was a Jew, if they sinned, they would be stoned. And at times for certain sins, they would, after they stoned the victim, they would take him and they would hang him on a tree. And that's why there's that passage, curses everyone who hangs on a tree. And so Jesus, yes, he took our punishment and our sin for us. And Peter referring to the tree, he refers to the fact that all people around us could see the fact that Christ was made a curse for us. The fact that he took the curse of the law upon himself and there he died in our place as our substitute, as our sacrifice. He who knew no sin, Paul says, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And that's what Jesus did for you and I. It's personal. He died for you on the tree. I like that. He was, our, he was my substitute, my sacrifice. He didn't have to do it, but he chose to do it for me. He took my sin because all people are sinners. Now, not only did Jesus die, but he rose again from the dead and he made it possible for all to be saved if they'll put their faith in him. And we see that here. Those who put their faith in Jesus are made righteous, that we might live for righteousness by whose stripes you're healed. The Bible says that you know, God placed upon Christ our sin, but that also then God will take Christ's righteousness and give it to us if we believe. And so when the Lord looks at me because of my faith in Jesus, he looks at me as if I never sinned. Righteous, justified, just as if I've never sinned. We, but also we have the indwelling Holy Spirit to make us righteous practically. So when God looks at us, he looks at us as judicially righteous, but also he gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can actually walk in righteousness, so that we can actually live out his word and do those things that are right and true, that honor and glorify the Lord. So Christ came to suffer for the, for the will of God. Verse 25, for you were like sheep going astray but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And so as a result of our faith in Christ, we were like sheep. This is from Isaiah. You might have, you know, remember it, Isaiah 52 and 53 there. We were like sheep that were going astray, but yet because of our faith, the Lord has brought us back to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. That's, that's pretty great. Now think of a sheep. A sheep by himself is, is really useless. They can't defend themselves, Right? They're just a dumb sheep out there, right? They don't know where they're going, right? They're just out there. They need a shepherd in the same way for humans. There's a way that seems right to the man, but the end of it is destruction. And the Lord has, has through our faith, called us back. And now the Lord is going to give us purpose in life. He's going to give us direction in life. He's going to lead us by those paths of still waters. He's going to give us, you know, those things that will, will restore our soul. The Lord is watching over us. We can have peace in life knowing that the Lord has a perfect and good plan for us. All this, this great salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, all draws back to the context of our suffering. Peter said, just look what Jesus did through his suffering. He suffered wrongfully. He had the authority by his own will to say, I'm not going to do this. But he chose not to. 
He chose rather to say, Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. He went to the cross. He chose to take the suffering even though he didn't deserve it, but yet he did it because there was a greater purpose in mind. So how about you and I? What will we do when we have to suffer wrongfully? When people start gossiping behind our back? When people start, you know, going behind us because we're Christians and talking about us, calling us hypocrites? Are we going to demand our rights? It's easy to. We can just get right back in the flesh, right? It's easy to do that. But we need to put that aside. We need to follow the Father's will because we need to know that there's something greater involved in this matter. It's that person's eternal future. That person who does that, if they're not a believer, they're going to die and go to a Christless eternity in hell, right? And so there's a greater reason on why we should submit. There's a greater reason on why we should accept the suffering. And Christ recognized that. And because he did, our lives are changed forever. So who knows what the Lord can do as you live righteously and the Lord heaps coals of fire upon that person's head as they're convicted of their sin, as they realize their need for a savior. So in closing, we all have an evaluation coming up. It's at the reward seat of Christ. I know you, like me, when we stand in front of the Lord, we want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Peter gives us some tips on how we can start that process. We need to be good Christian employees. We need to be those who are commendable in the eyes of God. And if we are, Peter says that we'll be blessed.